This may be one of the most important episodes of Uncover and Elevate that I've ever recorded and of Liberate Your People Pleaser. So we're going to talk today about empathy, what it is, what it is not, and enmeshment, which is a dynamic that goes along with people pleasing or codependency, if you're familiar with that term. But it is in essence when we don't have good boundaries and relationships. And it's a lot bigger than that. That's way oversimplified. Um, but that's where enmeshment starts. And, and a lot of that is with emotional boundaries, but not only emotional boundaries um, when we talk about enmeshment. So I want to talk about empathy and what it is and what it is not, because I have many people whether they're just friends or family in my life, you know, people who know me, people who DM me, whatever, or clients who describe intimacy or um, intimacy, that might've been a Freudian slip, um, empathy, which you must have to have intimacy, um, Describe empathy as they're feeling what another person is feeling. And so they will often describe this as like, you know, almost like a, a burden in a way, because no matter where they go, they're feeling what other people are feeling. And, you know, then they sort of carry that with them and it makes life emotionally challenging for them, let alone somebody that they're close to, a spouse, a parent, a, a child, a good friend, you know, whatever, any people at work that they're close to anybody, the closer your life is interconnected to another person, then the more sort of problematic it can be if we are quote, feeling their feelings. Now, what I'm going to say, and if you've been following me for a while, you've probably heard me say this before. That to me is not what empathy is. Okay, that is, I mean, it's a component, I suppose. Empathy has a component of being able to understand how another person feels. Um, but what we're talking about when it becomes like a burden, when it becomes something heavy, something that impacts you in a difficult way, then that to me is starting to move into the uh, spectrum of enmeshment, because with healthy empathy, we have healthy boundaries and you can have emotional and energetic boundaries, just like you can have physical boundaries. So there's no difference. You have to set them. It's a very intentional process, just like physical boundaries are or a boundary for, um, you know, you can't do that to me, or I'm not going to tolerate you not helping with this or that, you know, for people who are living together or whatever, like there's plenty of things we set up as physical boundaries, but there are also energetic and emotional boundaries. And so think of me as a life coach. If I were to feel what all my clients are feeling in this way that so many people talk about where, you know, it creates a heaviness for them or a burden for them. Burden may be a little bit too strong of a word, but some people certainly feel that way. Then I wouldn't be a very good coach because every client I have, I would be carrying their emotions and then I can't be objective about it. 
So in, or help them out of it, right? So some of you who follow me know that my mother is in, I, we suspect, you know, the end stages of her life. And I was able to visit her the other day and share with her sort of the truth of her reality, which is in she's, which is that she has to stay in a home where she can get qualified like nursing care. She needs 24 seven nursing care and she can't get out of bed by herself. She can't even, she can't sit up in bed by herself. So obviously she needs full-time care. So, you know, we had to find a place for her to receive that. So, of course, she's mad about that and she just wants to go home. And, you know, we're all trying to explain to her that that's just not possible. She can't go home. It's not physically safe for her. It's not physically safe for, you know, my sister who she lives with. So in that visit with her, I could see the moment that she kind of dropped into acceptance of that and the grief of that, right? So she's crying. She's emotional because she realizes she's not going to live anywhere, but where, you know, where she is, she's not going to go home again. And so because I understood empathy, okay, I had empathy that I understood that she was feeling sad, that she was at times angry about it, that she, you know, kind of all those stages of grief where you're in denial, you're angry, you're bargaining. And then there's this acceptance moment. And I sort of rode that wave with her in the couple hours of my visit, but I stayed grounded in my own emotional, you know, sort of center of peace. Like I also have those, my own feelings about that as a daughter you know, in my own cycle of grief for that. But I knew that in that moment, the best way I could show up for her was to not be in my own grief, but to allow myself to to be in peace and simply show up with her, be present with her in her own grief. So yes, I knew she was feeling it. So to me, a, a way to define empathy is that I can understand that you are having these feelings or thoughts or whatever's going on for you. And that for you, it is your truth, at least in that moment, you know, it's your truth in that moment. And I can kind of, you know, that concept of put myself in your shoes or in some way, understand that that is your perspective. In this example of my mother grieving her own transitioning out of life, um, that's pretty easy to see that I could understand she's grieving. But let's take it to a situation where it can be a little more problematic. Like I teach the skill of empathy and other skills that are connected to emotional intelligence to professionals, you know, in a workplace environment. So it can be really hard for me to understand that your perspective is your truth if your perspective is very different than mine. Like, let's say uh, we have to move our office to a new location. This happened to me in my own career, so it's an easy example. And, oh, my gosh, you would think I had told these people I was, you know, taking away their long lost child or something. They were so emotionally attached to this physical building we were in and the address of it and all the things that moving, you know, what was a mile or so away 
was just, you know, like the world was coming to an end. I didn't see it that way at all. I could see how the building we were in wasn't suited to us anymore. It was way too expensive. We we would have a lot of benefits by going to another location. So I didn't feel that way at all. But I could be empathetic by putting myself in their shoes from the standpoint of, okay, how would I be thinking and feeling if I did think this was awful? Okay. That's how, that's probably how they're thinking or feeling. Now I can explore that. I can ask them to share with me how they're thinking and feeling. And I'm not in my own position of like being defensive or rationalizing why they should feel and believe the way I do that the move will be a great thing for the company. I might get to talking about to them about some of the benefits But, you know, we've all experienced where we're feeling a certain way and somebody's trying to talk us out of it. Never works. Doesn't work to talk people out of how they feel. (laughs) So in that situation, I can come with empathy, even though I don't agree, I don't have the same feelings. And I can sort of put myself in their shoes and say, okay, but if I did, if I was thinking of this the way they would, okay, I get them, why this, why they're saying that, why, you know, then I can explore with um, true compassion and, and authentic interest to learn more about where they're coming from. And then maybe through that, I find the opening or I create another conversation where I can share with them, you know, my own perspective, which is different, but I don't feel some compulsory or, um, anxiety driven need to get them to see it my way right away. Okay. So with empathy, we can create that space that everybody needs to process something and then to potentially maybe process it differently. Um, You know, in the case of the moving office building, um, then I'm going to obviously try to promote the benefits of this new office to help people move, change their perspective. And I'm also going to accept that some people just won't. So empathy is that ability to get, to understand that somebody is thinking and feeling differently, whether you, you know, differently from you, whether you do or not, or maybe they're even feeling the same. And maybe depending on the circumstance, you share that feeling, like with my sister's we can all share our grief and our sort of, you know, when we're in denial and when we're bargaining and when we're, you know, in acceptance, we can kind of share that roller coaster with each other because we can all hold that kind of space for each other. But my mom cannot. She doesn't have the ability anymore to hold that space. So we're always going to have people in our lives, ideally, who can hold that space with you, even if they're feeling the same. And then other times we just recognize this person can't hold that space and that's okay. I don't need them to. I can show up for them and help hold their, you know, what they're thinking and feeling, their experience from my own place of peace. But where enmeshment gets in there is that in in enmeshment, there's that lack of boundary energetically, emotionally. And so we don't have what I'm going to call like emotional independence or emotional autonomy where I don't, that's what keeps me from taking on my mother's grief. I can 
you know, understand it, be in my words, empathetic to it. I can be with her in it, but I'm not taking hers on. I have my own, but I'm not taking her. So it's not that what's happening to her is happening to me. And that's how it feels when you're in enmeshment. When you're in enmeshment, whether you've ever heard that word before, whether you're, when you're in enmeshment, and this happens so often in families and in marriages, but it can also happen in the workplace. When we're in enmeshment, I'm feeling what you're feeling. I mean, I'm, it's like, it's almost bigger than that. It's almost like I'm having the experience you're having. So if you're unhappy about something, I'm going to have to be, I'm, if you're unhappy about something, I'm going to have to be unhappy about it. If you're grieving something, I'm going to be in grief. If you're, you know, you're just, you're having that experience with them. Whereas when we're in autonomy, you might be in your, you're my partner, let's say you might be in grief and I might be done with it. I might be in acceptance or you might think something is super fearful, you know, a risk we decide to take, or, you know, we decide to sell a house or move or, you know, any number of things that can happen. And to you, that's very frightening. And to me, it's not. That's okay. In emotional autonomy, I know that I am feeling different than you, and that's okay. I don't expect you to feel the same way the way I do, and I don't have to feel the same way you do. I can be empathetic. I can say, okay, well, I'm so excited about this move, but my partner isn't. So let me go authentically explore what are they fearful about or what are they concerned about or what about it, you know, makes it so unappealing to them. And I can show up and hear what they're saying and understand that their perspective is their truth, but I don't have to take it on. It doesn't mean that I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah, me too. You know? Um, So that's sort of how you can tell if you're in enmeshment versus healthy intimacy. <laughs> there I go again, empathy. Um, because in enmeshment, I'm having the experience with you. And that's why people who describe it that way as a burden. Yes, it's a burden. If I was carrying the emotions of all of my clients with me every day, that would be very exhausting. And that would be an emotional burden to me. And I would start to become not as good of a coach. And eventually I would not be a good coach at all because I would be so confused about my own experience and your experience. That's why it's called enmeshment. Like if you just think of something meshed together, like you lose sight, right? Sort of like the tapestry. Sure, there are a million individual threads, but when you're standing back from it, you just see one big thing. So that's what happens in enmeshment. If you're enmeshed with another person, that distinction where they stop and you start that emotional, spiritual, physical, mental autonomy gets lost. And I may feel compelled to give you my thoughts and feelings like that compulsion to, well, I've got to tell them how I feel. I got to tell them what I'm thinking. When I'm in my own autonomy, I don't, I I don't have any obligation to tell you how I'm thinking and feeling. If I choose not to tell you how I think and feel for a long time, that's going to definitely change the intimacy we have in our relationship. But I don't have an obligation to tell anybody how I think and feel. That is my 
responsibility and it is mine to do with what I decide to do with it. So if we go back to the metaphor I use often about the sandbox, when, when we're, so the sandbox metaphor is that each of us has our own sandbox as it should be. And whatever kind of sandbox you want to have, you get to have. It can be messy. It can have gorgeous sandcastles. They can have moats or no moats or, you know, shaped any way you want. Like you get to build whatever you want in your sandbox and you are responsible for everything in your sandbox. So if debris blows in there, you need to clean it out. You're not waiting for somebody else to take care of that for you. What's in our sandbox is everything we think and feel and do and react how we react and what we say and everything, our bodies, everything about us is in that sandbox. And sure, sometimes life, you know, throws seaweed into the sandbox. No problem. I just need to clean that out. But what happens in enmeshment is we invite other people into our sandboxes to help us clean it up or build our sandboxes. And we want them to stay. This is not a temporary help. This is stay and build my sandcastles with me because I can't do it on my own. Or somebody has invited you because they feel that way to go get in their sandbox and stay. Make a camp. You get your own room in the castle. You know, <laughs> stay in my sandbox. That's when enmeshment happens because now it's all glommed together into one sandbox instead of individual sandboxes. In healthy empathy, healthy intimacy, healthy relationships of all kinds, whether we're acquaintances or living together or in the same family or whatever, healthy relationships have each of us in our sandbox. And I may ask for help from you for a little bit because you have an expertise. You're really good at making moats around a sandcastle. And so I'm going to have you come in and help me with that moat. Teach me how to do that. And then you, you do that and you leave. You don't stay forever in my sandbox. I don't want you forever in my sandbox. It's mine. And I get to be in charge of my sandbox. You go back to yours. What happens? So like for me as a coach, when I'm coaching clients, they're inviting me to help them with their sandbox. And I help them in any ways that I can by coaching them into what they want to create, so to speak, or how to clean out their seaweed that got blown in. And, but, and then I come right back to my sandbox. There is no confusion between me and who I am and what I'm thinking and feeling and my clients. I can have a session with a very despairing client, somebody who's really stuck in despair. And sure, by the end, they're usually moving out of it. But I don't leave that session with my own despair. So that's where I have that emotional autonomy to say, well, that's them and they're having their despair. And I have no business going in and cleaning that all up for them. Let me take away your despair. No, even as a coach, I am being paid to facilitate, not fix. I cannot, the whole idea of fixing somebody is such an illusion anyway. I cannot take away your despair. I do not have that power. No one does, only you do. So what I do is coach you into how to get yourself out of your despair. 
Now that is your tool and you can use it the next time despair hits you again. But I'm not in there fixing that. So that's sort of the big picture, I guess, of enmeshment versus empathy. And thinking about that in this relationship, in this circumstance, am I keeping my emotional autonomy might be a good way for you to kind of have a little bit of a um, more fine-tuned barometer on this or kind of a litmus test. When you're feeling what everybody else is feelings, feeling and are taking that on, you have moved into enmeshment. You have not taken appropriate care of your own boundary energetically and emotionally to keep your own autonomy. So one way, if you're wondering how you do that kind of boundary, because it might seem sort of elusive, like I can say, you can't come into my house without knocking on the door, right? Like a physical boundary sometimes can be a lot easier to articulate and wrap your head around what you're going to do, what you're going to say, how that's going to work. These things that are a little more elusive, like an emotional boundary, let alone an energetic boundary, can be a little like, okay, sounds good, but how do I do that? So one way I learned to do it, and I learned this in my coach training, is to think of yourself like in a clear bubble. So there's this, um, or if you want to think about yourself like a guinea pig in one of those big plastic balls running around the house, whatever. (laughs) There's a container all around you. And I like to think of it at about arm's distance away from me because your energetic signature, like everybody's energy, um, like radio waves sort of um, echoes outside of their body. It's not just in your body. Your energy isn't just in your body. It's sort of like ripples in a pond is sort of, you know, radiating out about arm's length um, in a circle around your body. And that's why when people sometimes get physically real close to us, we can just pick up on something that doesn't feel right, or we can pick up on something awesome. That's why sometimes you can just be, you know, in the same room with somebody and you feel better for it, you know, kind of a thing, because they're, they're, the frequency of their energy is really high and it's radiating out and your, your energy is picking up on that. So this can happen in a really positive way too. Um, it also happens when we realize maybe a situation isn't super safe or a person feels kind of creepy to us or whatever that is. It just doesn't, even if we can't articulate what it is, we just know we don't like it. It's because their energy is radiating out, radiating out and connecting with ours and it's at a lower frequency. And so we don't like it. And so that's cool. Like trust that and move yourself away a little bit physically or do this sort of, it it may sound silly, but it's like imagining this bubble around you and only love and similar energies like joy and gratitude and all, all that good stuff gets to come in to your bubble. So your spouse might be madder than heck And you can hear them and you can consider what they're angry about, but you're not letting their anger come through your bubble. Like energetically, you're creating and emotionally, you're creating that autonomy. I'm going to stay over here in not angry because that's not how I'm feeling. 
and I'm going to let them be in their feeling and I'm going to be emotionally healthy, empathetic. Okay. I'm going to realize that how they're feeling, even if I think it's completely ridiculous, (laughs) is their truth. So I'm not going to argue how they feel with them. I'm not going to argue that. I'm going to find my compassion by understanding that for them, that's true. But all the while, I am protecting myself inside my own bubble of autonomy. And so then I can be present with them. And I can decide, like, if they're ranting, when I've had enough, that's my own boundary. Okay, let's, um, I've heard what you have to say and I can tell you're upset and let's talk about this another time. Or if it's, you know, something about work or something that doesn't really have anything to do with you and they're just venting, then you just say, okay, I've kind of taken in all I can take in around that. And so maybe you need to, whatever, talk to somebody else at work take it to a coaching session, take it to a therapy session, you know, whatever it is to get someone else to help. It is not your job to be anybody's only source of help. So you don't have to feel compelled. Well, I have to, I have to be the one that helps them. As soon as you get there, you're back into that codependency place as if you are the only person And that is never true. Even if the person only knows you, they could bump into somebody in the street that can help them better than you can. Because if you're feeling that obligation, then you're no longer really in the best place to help. Um, Obligation starts to move us into places where then we get resentful. That's why so many people who have relationships with people who are, say, addicts or have some kind of you know, repetitive issue like that, they get so resentful. I did all these things to help them and now they're drinking again or whatever. As soon as you're doing it for a result, then you are attached and that starts to lead you into that realm of codependency. And I never think of these things as like an on and off switch. I think all of these things are a spectrum. So you know, whatever, that doesn't mean you're codependent all the time in every way. Um, But, you know, it's just a way to realize that you're moving out of your sandbox. When I'm in my sandbox, I don't do things out of obligation. When I help, I help because I want to help. You know, when, um, for here's a good example. A few weeks ago, one of my kids who lives nearby, they just had a series of horrific you know, house renovation challenges and just enormous amounts of stress. And so I knew that it would probably feel very good if mom came for a visit just to do the dishes or play with the grandchild so they could take a nap or just anything, right? Like I knew that this was a time it would be really good for me to come spend a day and help. And I wasn't feeling up to it really because I was still having the pain and discomfort and stuff from the shingles that I had. So I had to really look, check in with myself, right? In my own sandbox. Like I could have empathy for what they're going through. Totally. 
and know how much it would help to have me there and that I have the skills. I, I could I could have done it, right? This is right in my wheelhouse. And I also didn't really feel physically up for it. And so I had to say no, which a part of me hated, like no mom wants to tell their kid that's in need, no. But I also knew I couldn't ignore what was happening in my own sandbox for the sake of thinking I'm going to go make her sandbox better. That somehow they would, you know, somebody else besides me could help, whether it came in the form of like somebody else um, or if they, you know, hired a sitter, a house cleaner or what, you know, whatever, like I'm not the salvation for anybody. (laughs) So it all worked out fine. Um, they, uncle Eric actually came up and spent the day and it was delightful. He helped do some adult things and played with Josie for hours and hours. So mom and dad could get some rest. It all turned out perfect, but that's what happens that we can allow for that when we are in our emotional and energetic autonomy, when we're in our own sandbox and I can have my daughter's feelings, her exhaustion, her need for help, like just that, uh, you know, and my own, I really want to help. And I don't feel physically up for it. Like I can hold all those things at the same time, even though uh, they're disparate, you know, they don't go together. They don't line up. It's not super easy. That's okay. We can handle all that in our sandbox. When we can't handle it is when we start getting into other people's sandboxes and we're either trying to fix things or we're trying to get them to do something or we're trying to be a hero and get some sort of applause or recognition or something like that. And then it doesn't work and then we're resentful. So I hope this resonates and makes sense. And I really want to know whether you email me, Brenda at brendaflorida.com, link in the show notes for that. You DM me through Instagram, you know, Brenda Florida Coach on Instagram, also in the show notes. You put a comment in wherever you're listening to this podcast, whatever the outlet is. Um, what else can you do? Any way you want to get in touch with me. Um, I would love to know if this makes sense, if you can kind of start to see that distinction. And if you want to learn how to do it, if it's like, okay, I get it. I'm not setting those emotional boundaries. I'm not keeping my emotional and energetic autonomy. And I need more help on how to change that. Then book that 15 minute call and let's talk about coaching together because I help people do this all day, every day. You know, this is one of the things that is really, 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 you know, at the forefront of my practice, you know, because it's all kind of part of the setting the boundaries and escape liberating yourself from all those people pleasing habits which is all about autonomy. It's all about creating your own sovereignty. sovereignty. And it's amazing how much our culture, I'm inclined to say, especially for women, um, doesn't want us to feel autonomous. It wants us to feel a certain amount of attachment or dependence on something. But it's really not just for women. It's, It's also men. It just looks different. For men, they the culture really supports, and of course I'm overgeneralizing here and stereotyping masculine and feminine, but um, for men, 
the culture really supports isolation, which is not the same as autonomy and doing things, lots of things out of obligation. I mean, every male client I have had, straight or gay, has a really overdeveloped sense of, well, I just, I have to do that because, you know, like that's my job. I have to support the family. I have to follow in my father's footsteps. I have to, you know, I can't disappoint my parents. I, you know, whatever. So it comes out a little differently with men and it's um, not always culturally seen in that same way that it's really obvious with women um, that we have been taught that it is our job to make everybody else's life happy at our own expense. So uh, it looks a little bit different, but at the at the base of it, in the core, when we look under the hood, as I love to say, it starts to have the same story, you know, kind of story and dynamic behind it. So you can book your 15 minute call through the show notes. You can do it on my website. You know, again, DM me if you want. It's in my link tree in Instagram um, or just DM me and I'll get you the link, you know, whatever, because this is what I love to do. I love to help people learn how to be free, which is about autonomy and authenticity in your own sandbox. So with that, I will end this episode and thank you so much for joining me on Uncover and Elevate.